In this episode, we chat with the CEO of WebPT, Nancy Ham, whose clarity and leadership philosophy has served her well through many notable executive positions she's held throughout her career. It's her clarity and way of shining a light on key business levers that make her a CEO that some of today's best investors seek to partner with. WebPT is currently backed by Warburg Pincus. We chat about the company's maniacal focus on product and purpose, how private equity has helped her scale the company, the decision to go 100% remote, and who she thinks is the best CEO. Nancy also shares with us three valuable leadership insights, amnesty on the past, the what versus the so what, and a relentless focus on the why. We hope you enjoy the show. Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. What I'd like to do is just kick right off and ask you, how has WebPT been able to establish such a dominant position in its market? And how have you been able to retain customers? I think you have over 99% customer retention. We do. And so WebPT, as the name implies, we provide software to outpatient physical therapy clinics. And when we started the company in 2008, the whole industry was basically on paper. And so we had the opportunity to write a product that was just beautifully fit for purpose. We were founded by a physical therapist. She knew exactly what the customers wanted. And the product has just had an incredible market fit from birth. We sold five in the very first month. I have been profitable virtually our whole existence. And it's just that maniacal focus on the product and on the people we serve. We have the highest net promoter score in our industry, and we're never resting on our laurels. We're always thinking about how can we make it better? How can we solve more problems for busy physical therapists in their clinics? And for many in the audience, they may not be familiar with this space, like how many physical therapists are there? How big is the market? Well, you know, healthcare is the largest industry in the U.S., and outpatient physical therapy is a $38 billion niche market. And we have the opportunity to serve 38,000 clinics. We have about 40% market share. So 20,000 of those clinics use one or more of our products. And I noticed you have some backing from uh, private capital investors. Can you tell us a little bit about who your backers are? And then we'll go a little bit further into kind of your experience with private equity and venture capital. Well, private equity has been a key part of our growth. And so, as I said, the company was really profitable from birth. And so I never raised much money into the company. But in 2014, we sold a majority to Battery Ventures, our first PE partner. Great partner, Chelsea Stoner there, brought a lot of pattern recognition, a lot of experience in similar companies, a lot of experience in vertical SaaS, and really helped us, you know, triple the company. And then we had the opportunity to recap to Warburg Pincus in 2019. And the Warburg team is incredible because they're truly a growth equity firm. The conversation is always, how can we grow faster? That's fine if we need to invest to do that. That's fine if we need to invest in R&D to invent more products to do that. So they're so focused on growth, which I appreciate, and not so much you know, on penny pinching. Fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting if talking to different CEOs and some decide whether or not they would like to take on outside capital and they're weighing the, you know, the pros and cons. And so aside from the capital, understanding that capital helps fuel the business, aside from the capital, 
Would you have been able to grow as fast as you did in each of those phases under Battery and then under Warburg? You know, I say the answer is no, because they bring one great people to help you. So they bring great board members. They bring you great experiences in similar companies. In the case of Warburg, which is a good sized firm, they have amazing internal resources So from their Raj Kushwawa, their chief digital officer, Dwight Porter, who has really helped us think through how to bundle all the products we've been creating and how to price correctly. They bring you expertise that you wouldn't otherwise have. And they also bring you a lot of great questions. And I think that's really important as a CEO to have someone who's not telling you how to do your job, you know, who's not bringing you a playbook, but who's observing the business as intently as you are and is constantly asking great questions. Could we do this? What about that? Have you thought about this? And so it really is having that trusted group of advisors who know the company as well as you do. So their questions and observations are really always on point. And so I think it's critical. It also helps you attract a different management team. So we've been able to use national recruiters and do national searches and find the very best people and bring them to our company And while WebPT by itself is, of course, an amazing company, part of the attraction is they want to be a Warburg company. They understand what that means for themselves and their careers. And, you know, something else I noticed in your background, you've got kind of a phenomenal track record in leadership positions. And you seem to have been at this for quite some time. And as I listened to some of your past interviews, you know, I'm immediately struck by how well you know the businesses you're in. Can you tell us about your best leadership insight? Where along the way you must have, you know, maybe it was a gradual process, but I imagine there was a point where you said, okay, I I know how to lead better now. I have these insights which I can adopt on a more regular basis. Can you tell us about any key insights you've gleaned along your career? You know, there's three phases that people hear a lot from me. And the first is amnesty on the past. I've often been brought in to turn around a situation. And so the very first time that happened, it was inside my company. I was asked to take over a project that was in deep distress and figure out what to do. And I dug in and I was ready to go present to the board. And thank goodness the CEO said, why don't you preview your presentation with me? Because it was very focused on being critical of the people who've been doing the project before. And he really helped me understand how completely non-helpful and irrelevant that was. So when I come into almost any situation, I'll say, look, let's just assume that we made the best possible decision in the past. At that time, with the facts and resources we have, let's just focus on where we are now and making a new decision. And I think that's so important culturally when you come in from the outside not to start criticizing everything that came before you in your eagerness to make it better. Two, I had a mentor who I would present at the board with all this level of detail and all these metrics and all these facts and figures. And he would very patiently listen. He said, Nancy, I understand you. That's the what, but so what? And it's such a good question because we can get so focused on the data, we lose the bigger picture in the day-to-day And so always asking not just the what, but the so what. And then the last thing, which honestly, I think I've learned the most here at WebPT from my co-founder, Heidi Janenga, is to relentlessly 
focus on the why of the company. What is the mission of the company? Always talking and leading the company from the mission and making sure that every person in the company understands how their role supports that mission that gives us purpose, that gives us an emotional connection, that gives us pride in what we're doing. And healthcare is, of course, naturally a mission-focused industry, so maybe it's a little easier. But I think those three things are things I come back to over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, and that uh, picking up on the last point of the why, then how do you implement processes to ensure that you're appropriately addressing the why? I'll give you a small example. So our mission at WebPT is to empower rehab therapists to achieve greatness in practice. And among other things, that means financial greatness. And that means collecting money. So we have a patient call center where, you know, patients call in, they have questions on their bills, which are also very complicated in a PT because you can go for many visits in a short period of time. One metric we don't have, well, a KPI we don't have is talk time because our why is to help that patient. They might need to vent for 10 minutes. They might need to tell you they lost their job and they can't afford this bill. They might want to tell you about the car accident that sent them to PT in the first place. And we need to listen with our full hearts and minds before we're ready to solve the problem. So for me, that's an example of focusing on the why, but it's also then all the usual metrics. We want to create raving fans. We want to serve our PTs. So in the product, can we make it three clicks faster because they're busy? Can we help them measure clinical outcomes? Can we look at their satisfaction over time? and see where there's negative inflection points. So, you know, SaaS companies, we have thousands of metrics, but for me, it's almost a little bit more about the emotion because what you want is people on the front line empowered to do the right thing without you having to tell them what the right thing is. And that's the power of the why. I teach all of our frontline employees a class on amazing customer service based on the Disney Institute. And I teach them two things. The most important phrase, it's not our fault, but it is our problem. And the other is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So yes, you need a million metrics to run a SaaS software company, but they're kind of useless to me if you don't have this emotional connection to the work you're doing and to the customers. Mm -hmm. Understanding that the business is doing extremely well, what is your biggest challenge today? Oh, it's people, 100%. Right now, it's hard to hire, and yet we're growing quickly, and we need to hire a lot of people. Our wonderful employees are being afforded chances to go to other companies and grow at some pretty you know, stupendous increases in salary. So it's always people. If you solve the people issues first, then you know the people will help you solve all the other problems. It's also maintaining our culture now that we're all working from home. You know, WebPT was a very in-warehouse company altogether, people and dogs seeing each other. And it was fine to go home for a little bit. You know, we all have laptops, we can work from home. But now, you know, we've been home a year and a half and really trying to maintain this connectivity to the people, to remind them of the why, to help them still feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. I think that is a pervasive challenge. When I talk to my CEO friends, it's all we're talking about. Mm -hmm. is hiring, culture, how are we adapting to this new world and trying to learn from one another. 
Have you come out with any key conclusions? Do you think it's going to be halftime at home, halftime in the office? Is there some magical mix you're going to try to test out? No, we made a very hard decision for us, which is we're going to be purely work from home. We decided that hybrid is the worst model Mm. because if six people in the room and two people aren't, you're disadvantaging the two people who aren't. You're disadvantaging them and their ability to do their work, to feel connected, to get promoted. And so we decided we're just going to go purely work from home. It does allow us to recruit the best, which helps solve the problem I mentioned before. People do really like it. These days, I don't know that I could hire a software engineer if I told them they had to come into the office. So we bit the bullet and I miss all my colleagues. And so now we're trying to figure out how to be purely work from home, but have, you know, these quarterly get togethers. And so I tell people all the time, work from home is not saving money. You think, don't come at it because you think you're going to save money by not having offices. If anything, I think it's going to cost us more money because now to get together, everybody has to get on a plane and coalesce somewhere. And you have to invest more in collaboration tools and virtual culture events and swag and celebrations. So it doesn't save money, but I do think it helps you hire the best. And I see our employees are happier and healthier being at home, but it was a very hard decision. And what does that mean? You have a lot more frequent Zoom interactions. What are the tools that have helped you remain a cohesive culture? Well, certainly Zoom. We played... um, Pub trivia on Zoom on Friday. I was awful. I dragged my feet <laughs> down to the bottom. But it was a lot of fun. We also use Slack, of course, like a lot of software companies. And the key is to make sure it's not just a work tool. Like my favorite couple of channels in our Slack instance is one that's all about pets, my favorite channel. There's one where we are celebrating one another. So just a kudos channel. There's a cooking channel. There's a lose weight channel. And we also formed, rather our employees formed affinity groups, everything ranging from veterans to parents to BIPOC. And so making sure you use these tools not to just transact, that's the key. Like I'm really trying to be better myself, not just to get on a Zoom meeting and just start the agenda, but to take a few minutes and chit chat like you would normally in a meeting. And so there's bringing humanity to these tools And then the last thing actually is knowing when not to use them. So I've quit using them for one-on-ones. Instead, we put on our headphones and we go for walks together. Mm. And that supports one of our core values, which is live better. And it also weirdly makes us feel more connected rather than staring at each other on the Zoom. You know, we're both walking and talking and maybe observing. Oh, my gosh, it's so pretty here. What's going on today? So... Figuring out how to be human and goofy on these digital platforms, I think, is the new challenge. One more thing WebPT did last year, which Mm -hmm. I hope we're going to start again soon. We created WebPT TV. So our video team started filming episodes, for example, where we work, showcasing where you work, your home, what music you listen to, your cats, your dogs, your kids. And then we have one called The Kindness Files, where people are sharing very openly It's okay to not be okay. People are struggling with a lot of things last year and this year. And showing that vulnerability makes us feel human and connected as well. (laughs) These are all phenomenal insights. Uh, We're coming up on time here, but I, I would like to ask a couple more questions. This has been a great conversation. One is, what is next for WebPT? Meaning, you've 
had two investors. Your current one has been involved with helping you kind of, I think, position the company in a even more dominant place in the market. What do you think is going to be happening in the next three to five years? Where, where does the company go from here? Well, physical therapy is part of something called muscular skeletal, which is the largest area of healthcare spend, 16.7% of all healthcare spend. And yet, out of all that, of all the people who benefit from physical therapy, only 10% start physical therapy. So we are doing a lot of convening and thought leadership and work to say, how can we, as our industry that we serve, double the number of patients who come to physical therapy in a decade, which obviously would give us the opportunity to do amazing things. We want to really look at how we can integrate other parts of the MSK continuum. A lot of our clients do health and wellness They do ancillary MSK services like acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic therapy. So we have unbounded growth horizons, and that's really exciting. And so it's just about focusing every day, what problems are we trying to solve to help treat more patients, help our customers be more successful, and frankly, bend the cost curve of healthcare in this country because there are mountains of evidence that PT first is going to produce the best outcomes at the lowest cost. So that's where you hear our passion, you know, to solve some big problems. And last question here is, who do you think is the best CEO? And by that, I mean, which leader do you look to that really inspires you and who you aspire to become more like? Well, I'll tell you someone who's inspired me a lot, actually, is Catherine Graham, the publisher of the Washington Post, She was not trained in the business. In fact, when her father passed the business down, he passed it to her husband, Mm -hmm. not to her. And then he tragically committed suicide. So she stepped into this big job for which she was unprepared. People were very skeptical and condescending of her. And yet she became, you know, the first female CEO in the Fortune 500. She, of course, made some incredibly bold and gutsy decisions to publish the Pentagon Papers, to publish the Watergate Foundings. She's award-winning on so many levels. She published an incredible autobiography, which won the Pulitzer Prize, about her path to becoming a great leader by accident. And so... I just think of her and everything she walked into and had to overcome with no training. And I just find um, I have a lot of admiration for that. Well, that's a good note to end on. And, you know, I've spoken with thousands of CEOs over the years throughout my career. And I think you're one to back in the uh, healthcare space. I can see why, you know, Warburg, you have teamed up with Warburg, they've teamed up with you. So best of luck uh, in the coming years. Thanks for having me today. This was a great conversation. 